Well, as I'm sure you are aware already, today marks 21 years, today's 9-11, 21 years since the uh, terror attacks that killed 2,977 people and um, 19 suicide um, people bent on, on murder-suicide, hijacked planes, crashed them into World Trade Center, Pentagon, and then actually in Pennsylvania when some of the people on board formed a little insurrection and, and took it down and avoided the, the target that they were after. But uh, of the, the nearly 3,000 people who died on 9-11, 400 of them were police, firefighters, or paramedics. And if you take just those who died in the World Trade Center, which was the vast majority of them, um, one in every seven of the people who died were first responders. I mean, let, let that sink in for a minute. For every six people who died because they couldn't get out of the buildings, one died because he or she was running into the building trying to help someone else in need. That is the consummate picture of being all in. And on a day like today, 9-11, uh, really any other time, but especially on a day like 9-11, you know, we should honor all the victims, but in particular those who gave up their lives, who, who just, just said, we don't care the cost, we're going to do what is necessary because we're here to, to help others, to serve and to protect others. And so um, what, a, what a great reminder and how appropriate that we would end our series called All In on 9-11, a day that we will always remember for those who were definitely all in. Uh, we've had the opportunity over the last five weeks to look at different characters from the Old Testament who were all in. Today we're going to turn to the New Testament. So we made a little bit different story today in this respect. The woman who is the, the main character of the story in Luke 7 that we'll get to here in just a moment chose to approach Jesus when she didn't have to. You know, all the other stories, all the other examples that we've been in over the last several weeks have more or less been thrust into a situation where they had to respond. In most cases, a very dramatic type of a situation. This one is a story of a, a woman who approached Jesus on her own and did so, as we'll see, uh, under some pretty crazy circumstances. Uh, Luke chapter 7 is our passage, and, and I want you to go ahead and turn there with me. We're going to start with verses 36 through 39, and then we'll come back and read the rest of the chapter a little bit later on. But I, I want us, just as much as possible, try to envision what this would have been like to just observe. If you were an observer watching what is described, what is recorded in Luke 7. Starting in verse 36, it says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's home, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So Jesus is invited. You get this picture. 
A couple of surprising things happen here just right off the bat. Number one, a Pharisee invites Jesus into his home. That's surprising. And number two, it might be a little surprising that Jesus accepted the invitation. I mean, we know how Christ is. So those of us that know Jesus and know his heart maybe aren't surprised. But just looking at it from the outside, that might be uh, a little bit surprising. Now, granted, not all of the Pharisees. We, we do have examples of Pharisees who became followers of Christ. So not all of them were the hypocritical, you know, ones that Jesus was constantly railing against. But this guy, we don't know all about him, but we get a little glimpse into his mindset was kind of the typical Pharisee mindset. Oh, I cannot believe that he would allow this woman, if he only knew who she was, you know, he couldn't be a prophet because this sinful woman, uh, he is, he's not sending her away. She's allowing him to touch him and and so he seems to have had that mindset. And one of the things I think is important for us to distinguish here, if you know your New Testament, you may know that this is not the only account of a woman anointing Jesus with perfume. But this is a unique story. The others talk about how his head was anointed, and it's a different story, may possibly two different stories. I won't get off on that rabbit trail right now. But definitely different from the one that we see in Luke 7. Because this one specifically points out the fact that she lived a sinful lifestyle. Most likely, she was a prostitute. That, that's, that's the most likely explanation for what's going on here. But one way or the other, it was known publicly that this woman lived a sinful lifestyle. And she parades her way into the home of a Pharisee. Now, I read this story and I'm thinking to myself, it's too bad they didn't have reality TV back then. Because can you imagine, you know, what kind of a series this would make of this sinful woman going into the home of a Pharisee and just to see the, the response on that Pharisee's face. Now, we don't know exactly how things played out, but I suspect because of what Jesus says later in the story when he's talking to Simon is the name of the Pharisee. When he's talking to him, he says, from the time I entered, she has not stopped, you know, uh, wetting my feet, washing my feet, all that Apparently, what happened was this woman found out that Jesus was coming, and she may have gotten there before Jesus did and was waiting because it seems that she was there from the time that, that he came. Maybe she just walked right in with him, uninvited. We don't know exactly how it happened, uh, but she is there in the home, and Jesus is glad she's there, and Simon is very not glad that she is there, and I just would have loved to have seen this, be a fly on the wall to watch all of this unfolding. But what we see here in this woman is a response to some type of encounter that she had had with Jesus previous to this. Wouldn't you love to know what that is? We don't know. We don't know if she had a one-on-one -on -one type of a conversation, if he expressed grace in some unique way to her previously. We don't know if maybe she heard him teaching publicly and, and her heart was, you know, drawn to him through that. It doesn't say, but it's evident because she's coming and she's, she's responding to grace that she has already received at some time in the past. And that's exactly what we do when we come to Christ. And when we're talking about being all in in our faith, I want to be very clear about this. What we're talking about is a response to what Christ has done, who he is and what he has done. We're not talking about, you know, this, the, the, the onus is not on us so much. When we're talking about being all in, it's not like I've got to make it happen. I've got to do this. Really what we're saying here is when we truly grasp 
the, gr- the goodness of God and the grace extended to us in Christ, the natural response is, I'm all yours. And I want to give you everything that I have. Now, I do want to say this, that for the things that we have been talking about and will talk about today, if you've not yet come to know Christ in a personal way, then you can't really respond to his grace. And so let me just start there by saying it begins by receiving the grace that he extends. So who is this Jesus? Well, Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Trinity. He is the one who took on human flesh. God became a human being, lived a perfect, sinless life, which qualified him to die a substitutionary death. He, because he was perfect, was able to die for our sins, and that's exactly what he did. Jesus gave his life on the cross for us. He died in our place to pay the penalty for sins that that I owe and that you owe, but Jesus paid that for us. After he died, he was taken down from the cross. He was put into a borrowed tomb. A, A massive stone was rolled in front of the tomb, but on the third day, That stone was rolled away and Jesus walked out alive. He is resurrected. He is alive today. He he appeared to um, a number of people before ascending back into heaven. And he sits at the right hand of the Father today. So our response, our first response is one of faith in Christ. The Bible tells us it's by grace that we've been saved through faith. It's not anything that we do. So at the point that we say, "I'm I'm sinful, I acknowledge that, I'm trusting in Jesus That's when we receive the grace of God. And let me just say, if you haven't taken that step, do that today. Trust in Christ. I'm I'm confessing my sin to you, and I'm leaning 100% on you and what you've done. Once you've done that, then you can respond to that grace as we are seeing that this woman did. And so there are a couple of things that I want to point out about how she responded to the grace that she received from Jesus that shows us that she was all in. And and these are things that we can do as well. And the first one is this, to express our faith in Christ publicly. That's what she's doing here. She is coming into an unfamiliar and uh, not, not, not a very welcoming place in the home of a Pharisee to publicly express her faith in Christ. Now, I'm quite confident that before this woman met Jesus, she wouldn't have gotten anywhere near the home of a Pharisee. I mean, these are the people who would stone women like her. And yet, because she desired to express her love for Christ and wanted to acknowledge that publicly, she, she didn't care. See, she knew what the Pharisees and any others, apparently there were others there. We see that from the context of, of what we'll read in a minute. She didn't care what Simon or what any of the others who were there thought about her. The thing that mattered to her was, what does Jesus think? And this was an opportunity for her to express her her love and devotion to him. And what other opportunity would she have had? I mean, if she had a home of her own, she couldn't have invited Jesus to her home. With a reputation as a sinful woman, that, that wouldn't have been an option. So how is she going to have a somewhat private opportunity to interact with him? Well, you barge in on a dinner party, I guess, and and that's what she did. But she was willing to to put it out there for everyone to see that she was a follower of Jesus. I'm going to speak for just a moment to those um, that are either young in years, which I know it's 8 o'clock service, so there's a few of you here, not, not tons, or young in your faith. Because... Sometimes when we are either just young in years or young in our faith, 
it can be a bit difficult to have the boldness to acknowledge Christ publicly because there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. And by the way, that doesn't necessarily go away as you get older and more mature in your faith, but we, we tend to, to get a little bit, I guess, more accustomed to that. But here's my question. If at any time, under any circumstance, if you're ever hesitant to acknowledge that you are a Christ follower, why? Why is that? What, what would cause And that's not, real, that's not a rhetorical question. I mean, that's something to really think about. Why would I ever be hesitant? Is it because I'm afraid I'll be rejected? Is it because I think I'll be ostracized, maybe passed over for a promotion? I mean, what, what is it that would cause us to say, I'm, I don't want to be too public about my faith in Christ? This woman said, I, I don't care who knows. And she let her story out there for everyone to see. Now, for some, the issue may not be a, a, a hesitancy to acknowledge that you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're more mature in your faith. Maybe it's not, a, you know, you're, you put it out there and everybody knows that you're a believer. Then there may be another application for us. My question then would be, okay, how willing are we to do what this woman did? And that is to basically put her sin out there in the open. I mean, she was, this was, by coming to Christ, was kind of a way of confessing her sinfulness publicly as well. So here's the question. Have you ever been afraid of what others would think about you if they only knew about your sin? And if your answer to that is no, I'm not sure you're human. Because there's, that, that's just a part of who we are, right? If, if they only knew or if this got out and what we often do is we hide and I've got to keep this, you know, I've got to keep up my persona and I've got to make sure that nobody thinks a certain way about me. And that, that just wasn't her concern. You know, one of the things that, that often happens because we can get concerned about others knowing things about us is that we just keep ourselves in the darkness. We just remain isolated. And by the way, if you find yourself tending toward isolating from other believers, it's a good time. It's not the only reason for doing that, but one of the reasons may be there's something in my life that I don't want people to see, and I'm afraid I'll get found out, and so the safe thing to do is just to stay away and isolate. Um, but by coming to Jesus publicly, she was saying, I'm putting it all out there. It was a huge risk, but the affirmation she received from Christ certainly made it worth it as he uh, received her the way that he did. So it tells us that what happened was that this woman uh, was at the feet of Jesus. Apparently, when Jesus came into the home, and I don't know if there was some chaos there, because if she truly was waiting there with him and walked into the home with him, you can imagine that that probably threw the Simon, the, the, the host, it probably threw him for a loop here. So maybe that's why, or for some reason, they didn't go through this customary process of washing feet. Jesus will say this later on, nobody washed his feet, but, but that she began to wet his feet with her tears. And you just see her repentant heart, you know, as she is just sobbing at the feet of Jesus and, and his feet are nasty because they haven't been clean. And so there's dirt from the roads all over his feet and she cries and her tears of, of both repentance, I think, and joy and gratitude for who Christ is and what he's done for. But, but she uses that to clean his feet. And then she does something that for a woman, especially in that day, would have just been almost unthinkable. And that is she took her hair and she used her hair to wipe away the dirt from his feet. A woman's glory was her hair. 
And so for her to use it to clean the dirt off the feet of Jesus, that just speaks to her, her um, humility and her desire to, um, to let Christ know, um, you know how much she loved him. And then she takes this perfume, which, by the way, most likely would have been used in her prostitution. She takes what was once used for evil, and she uses it as an expression of worship. And she anoints the feet of Jesus with this, perf- with this perfume. And so I-, I do think this was her way of worshiping Jesus, which leads me to the second thing. One, we, we publicly express our faith in Christ. But the second thing is, being all in means that we worship Christ extravagantly. We worship extravagantly. Uh, that, that, this was extravagant for her. This perfume was most likely the, the most important thing and one of the most expensive things that she would have had. And so to, to, to just pour that out on the feet of Jesus was an expression of extravagant worship. Certainly to, to, to use her hair to clean his feet was an expression of extravagant worship. Now, she could have worshipped Jesus without going to these extremes, right? A few chapters later, Luke 17 tells a story of 10 lepers. You remember the story of the 10, 10 men that were healed, and it says only one of them came back to express gratitude to Christ. But the one that came back did fall at the feet of Jesus and expressed incredible gratitude for being healed. But he didn't go to the lengths that she did. Not only does she fall at the feet of Jesus, she wipes his feet with her hair. She anoints his feet with perfume. I mean, this is just taking it to the next level here. And I think it's important for us to point out the fact she did not do this because she wanted to be um, acknowledged by the other people that were around. I mean, the people that were there were, you know, they, they didn't think highly of her to begin with. It, it, we don't worship extravagantly as a means of being noticed, right? Does that, that make sense? This is not something that we do so other people can see us extravagantly worshiping Christ. I mean, in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about different forms of worship. He talked about um, prayer. He talked about um, fasting. He talked about giving, all of these things. And he, he says the same thing in all of them, that those who do this because they want to be noticed by other people, he said that they have received their reward in full. He uses that same phrase about all three of them. But those who perform these acts of worship privately says that God will honor that and that they will be rewarded by their father. So, so it's really clear that she's not doing this to, um, to be noticed. And I think it's important for us to make that distinction. But then we have to ask the question. This is where the rubber meets the road always, right? What does that look like for us? I mean, when we talk about worshiping Christ extravagantly, what does that look like? What does that mean? And I don't think it's going to look exactly the same for all of us. I think it's going to be different. The specifics of, you know, what God might lead you to do as an expression of extravagant worship might be different from what he would lead someone else to do. But, but the point is, are we giving the best that we have to give? Are we giving everything, all that we have, we're all in, in expressing our love and gratitude and worship to Christ? And she did that by giving this perfume, which would have been one of the most important and, and expensive things that she had. Now, thinking about this in terms of, you know, how do we give our best? How do we worship extravagantly? 
I just thought about it so we could get some handles on it of the four things. We, we have basically four core commitments that we talk about as a church. Things that we do corporately. This, this isn't, you know, we, we do things privately as well. But as far as corporately as a church, worship, grow, serve, impact. Maybe you've heard those four things before. I hope that you have. Um, if you haven't, go to Gateway to Gateway. So you'll, you'll get to learn a little bit more about that. Um, but we, we talk about how we, we worship together. Let's just think about these four things. What does it look like to, to worship extravagantly in the sense of coming together for corporate worship? And one of the things that that does mean is that when we worship together, that is something that we place a high value on. We, we make it a high priority. And so my, my simple question on that is, is coming to, together to worship corporately, is that something that is a priority that you just know it's a given that we will, I will do this every single week. You know, that I'm here and available, not sick or out of town or something else, but that this is just going to be something that I do regularly. Or is it more of a, yeah, you know, I'll come if I can, if I'm feeling up to it. That, that's one way for us to know that we are worshiping with everything that we can. Or, or how about the condition of our heart when we come into worship? Are we coming with an attitude of what am I going to receive today? Or do we worship God with an attitude of, Lord, I'm, I'm going to come ready to overflow to you, ready to give to you, ready to hear from you, ready to submit and obey you? Um, how do we come to worship? What about when it comes to growing in our faith? Our specific action there is that we surround ourselves with biblical community. What a great testimony, by the way. Earlier in the service, they hear uh, from Saren and Tevin saying, you know, being in biblical community has made all the difference for us. It matters. But is that something that, that, that you've done? Is that a priority for you to be involved in a small group where you can be surrounded by other people? And when you're there, first of all, is it a commitment to be there? Say, this is going to be a priority that I just do on a regular basis. And, and when you come, are you coming um, willing to make yourself vulnerable? Willing to open up? Willing to receive what others have? Um, and, and coming with the right heart? What about serving? Is it a priority to find a ministry, an area to use your gifts to serve? Now, I know most of you are really busy. And so time schedules get really tight. And I do think it's important, by the way, to say that, it, that maintaining proper balance in our lives is, is, is really a big deal. Okay, So we, we're not talking about... Um, you know, being so busy that there's no time left for family, that there's no time left to kind of catch your breath. That's not the point. But prioritizing in such a way to say, I'm going to find a way to use my gifts to serve others. And then the last one, impacting those for the kingdom of God. And the specific thing we talk about there is our giving. When we give, it, it enables us to have the resources that we need to have a greater kingdom impact. Is your giving an expression of worship? Church, let me just encourage you with that. That's the point. That's why God invites us into this process of using our material resources to, to give to kingdom purposes. It's not about, you know, what money is needed here or there. It's about this gives us a chance to say, Lord, I'm all in. And I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to, to express that in ways that show that I'm all in. And so there's a simple reflection question there to ask. Does my giving really reflect that I'm all in in my faith? Or does it reflect more that this is something that I do when I can and kind of give God what's available? Now, I know 
that many of you do these things on a regular basis. And I just want to encourage you if that's the case. I know there are a lot of people sitting in here right now, maybe some watching online. You, you, you worship, you grow, you serve, you, uh, you, you use your giving to impact. You do all those things on a regular basis. So good for you. And, and keep that up and keep, continue to pursue that. Um, but if that's not the case, then there are always opportunities for us to say, okay, God, this might be a place for me to start in my, my growth. All right, let's keep reading because I do want to finish the end of this chapter. Starting in verse 40, or picking up in verse 40, it says, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered does not stop kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, I think the key verse in that section is verse 47 where it says, therefore I tell you her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. What Jesus is saying to Simon here is because this woman has been forgiven so much, she loves so much. You see, great grace leads to great love. And when we have experienced the grace of God like this, it's an opportunity for us to express a, a deeper level of love and appreciation for who God is. I think it's interesting that when this woman came to Jesus, um, he, he never turned away from her in any way. Yeah, we see, and it's really clear from the way Simon, the, the Pharisee, responded, that he was appalled that she was there. He was disgusted by her. Jesus wasn't. Jesus never turned away from her. When she began to, you know, to, to wet his feet and pour perfume, and all, he, he, he never sent her away. In fact, he didn't condemn her. Not only did he not condemn her, uh, but, but he used her as an example of this is what great love looks like. And he said, because she has been forgiven so much, she loves so much. Now, please don't hear me saying that then we should go out and, and sin greatly so that God's grace you know, can be demonstrated through us. I mean, Romans 6, 2 um, speaks directly to that and says, may it never be. So that's not the point. But the point is this. If there are things in your past, if maybe you can relate a little bit to the sinful woman, there are things that, 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 that you would be ashamed of and say, man, I wish this was not a part of my life. I wish I had not gone down this road. If that's the case, that's just an opportunity for the grace of God to be magnified in you and through your story. That's what we see here. And, and, and after telling the story and making this point, 
Jesus then turns to her in verse 48 and says, your sins are forgiven. It's interesting because in verse 47, he says her sins already had been forgiven. So really what we get the idea here is that she's experienced forgiveness already, but then Jesus says it publicly almost, and I wonder, there are a couple of reasons for that. One, he says it partly so other people can hear what he's saying. So that the other people in the house get to hear him say, your sins are forgiven. But also, it never hurts to hear it again, right? If you are that person who has sinned greatly, even if you know that your sins have been forgiven, it never hurts to hear it again. And I just want to say to you again, if you have trusted in Christ because of what Jesus has done, these are not my words, these are Jesus' words, your sins are forgiven. They're forgiven. That means that you don't have to walk in shame. It means that you don't have to to live your life stuck in the sins of your past. That's gone. That is forgiven. Jesus forgave the sins of this woman. And he says not only that, but but she is going to become a, a megaphone for my grace. Because those who have sinned greatly have the opportunity to love more greatly as well. You see, the magnitude of our love for Christ has less to do with how big our sin was in the eyes of the world and more to do with how much we understand the depth of our sin. See, some of us probably relate really well to this woman. Like, I get that. I know what it's like to have a horrible, sinful lifestyle in my my background. But frankly, some may say, I don't relate so much. There haven't been those things that everyone else would look at and say, what a terrible person you are. But let me just say this. Even those of us that don't necessarily relate to this woman in the story, we're a lot more like her than we might realize. Because all of us are sinful. The issue really isn't how big our sin is. The real issue is how much do we grasp the depth of our sin so that we can fully appreciate what Christ has done in our lives. So my question for you is, which of these actions requires, which of these things we talked about requires some action on your part today? Is it publicly expressing your faith in Christ? Is it some, taking some step toward extravagant worship? What is it that you need to do that we can learn from this woman to say that I'm all in? You know, if anyone ever had an excuse for not doing what she did, not going on, and it's this woman, would anyone really have blamed her for not barging into the home of a Pharisee to do what she did? She did it anyway. She didn't let that be an excuse for her not to go all in in her faith. My prayer is that we don't come up with excuses either. And we just say, whatever it takes, Lord, I want to express to you how much I love you and desire to follow you. Let's pray together. Lord, um, I do pray today that, that we are able to follow you wholeheartedly. I mean, just with everything that we have, that there's nothing that would keep us back, that we wouldn't be ashamed to publicly acknowledge you, Lord, that we, that we would go all in in our worship, just everything, Lord, we give ourselves to you. So, Lord, be honored in our midst, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.